National League Championship. They have beaten the Padres 4-3, and they celebrate on their home turf as the Phillies of the 2022 NL Champions. From WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season, and this is our preview of the National League Championship Series between the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn, joined by my, by my good friends Justin Clue and Liz Rocher, co-hosts of this fine podcast. Liz Rocher, of course, you know from Yahoo Sports. Elizabeth, the Phillies are on to the NLCS for the second year in a row, dispatching of the Braves, and now we get the Arizona Diamondbacks, a team that a lot of us thought we were going to see in the wild card round, and now now here they are, fresh off of series sweeps against the Brewers and the Dodgers. Um, I'm feeling good to say goodbye to the Braves. Nothing, nothing felt yep. as good as that this past week. That felt really good. Felt nice to have a few days off without stress, without, you know, <laughs> gating for the first time in 40 years and biting my nails habit. Like, yeah. no, this is not good. <laughs> I'm yeah, is this I'm, supposed I'm to be entertainment there. like <laughs> what are we doing to ourselves like what is this is supposed to be entertainment this is not supposed we to we care it, that's it, the problem yes we care yes We're that's just, the problem it's not supposed to we add go through all this lives. We go through all this with the hope that at the end, we're going to get to let all of it out and be really excited. But if we don't, (laughs) then we just have to do what we did last year, which is look back on all this and be like, well, I guess it happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. And I I think you're right. It was nice for everybody. I think everybody was... So glad this didn't go to a game five and, and, and you know, dry, draw everything out and get a couple of days to, to rest and relax and recharge for the NLCS. Justin Clue from Baseball Prospectus and, of course, the other fine podcasts that he does over on our Hit and Season Patreon, The Dirty Inning, of course, and Absolutely Hammered. Uh, Justin, uh, we are now getting ready for yet another victim to come into Citizens Bank Park here on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, they're trying to pipe in that crowd noise. We'll see how it goes. How you doing, bud? <laughs> Good. You know, I feel like when we think about old playoff runs and we're like, oh, wasn't that fun? I hope other people get to experience that. I think we're realizing again what people are talking about is the time between the games. The games themselves, yes. typically <laughs> not fun. No, horrible. But in between, you know, when your team's winning those games in the end, you you get to enjoy that for a day or multiple days. And then, you know, you can, you can do that without the stress of knowing yeah. they're going to test that later the so 10 to 2 games are fun in real right. time yeah the uh <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the games that you can relax watching but they're just so rare especially yeah. this year it's just yeah. been a lot of tight margins and a lot of physical tolls so i i think yeah that, that's something to remember every time is that you enjoy the parts between the games but the games themselves they can they can really hit you like a sledgehammer yeah, you know, it's like I was thinking about it. Like, why can't they just win like seven to three? But the thing is, like in mid-August, a seven to three win, a seven to three lead, like in the eighth inning, is like no big deal, no stress. You're not really fretting about it. Seven to three lead, you're still just thinking to yourself, okay, if they if they get if they're still just one swing away from tying this game up, they they can't let anybody get on. They can't. And you're just like rocking back and forth, thinking about every <laughs> terrible scenario that could happen. The Phillies could walk three hitters in a row as they did in the seventh inning of Game Four, and all Aww. of a sudden you're all of a sudden you can't breathe, and so you never know. And that's and that's the 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 sweet torture of of playoff baseball but the Phillies got through the first two series and now uh, we're going to be previewing this National League Championship Series against the upstart Arizona Diamondbacks and again this is I thought we were going to get this team in the wild card round 
and instead they're getting we're getting them here in the NLCS. Very impressive going through a Brewers team that was without Brandon Woodruff, and that really I think knocked the Brewers backwards and really staggered them. They just didn't seem mentally ready to play that that series against Arizona. But what they did against Dodgers pitching uh, in the NLDS was uh, was was pretty scary there. And so as they come in here. You know, last year, the the Phillies got the San Diego Padres. They had to start the series in San Diego for games one and two. They're getting the Arizona Diamondbacks in Philadelphia for games one and two. The Phillies have the home field advantage uh, by being the top wildcard team. Justin, does this series feel, does this team feel, are they more threatening than San Diego last year or less threatening than San Diego last year? To me, it feels like this is not as threatening a team as the Padres last season. Well... It's kind of tough, right? Because the Padres have been so set up to be threatening. And and last year when they were actually in the playoffs, in the NLDS, it felt like, okay, they are a threatening team. They made the playoffs. They have everyone they have on their team. You know, we we know what that, what the story is over there now. So the, they definitely have more star power, which I think makes them much more intimidating. Yeah. Um, But I think the Diamondbacks and Phillies are, are, they just seem so much closer together because they're kind of doing the same thing. Like they both defeated the uh, division champion that they really had no shot at dethroning. Uh, they had to just get in as a wild card team. They're both these scrappy underdogs of their respective playoff runs. They love to mash home runs. They both have disciplined hitters who can see a lot of pitches. Um, so like I, I feel like they they have a they they match up well in a, in a lot of ways. The Wheeler Nola Suarez and Gallon Kelly Fat like they they really. They, they, they really uh, seem like shadow versions of each other to an extent. But on the other hand, I feel like the Phillies are a team with functional star power, unlike the Padres. And they have shown that they can win games with more than just hitting home runs. And they also seem like a team that didn't have to get as lucky to get into the playoffs. Um, because we know they weren't. Because they were sitting happily in their number one wildcard spot while every other team was jumping into a blender. So I do think the Phillies were in that spot for a reason. I think they played better for longer. Uh, even when they had some rough stretches during the regular season, I think they were still, they're, they're just a significantly better team. Uh, that being said, the D-backs aren't going to roll over. I just think they are not as, that they're not as scary at the outset here as the Padres might have been. A Padres team that was, you know, just fresh off beating their big nemesis that they were, it was, they had to use an upset to beat and with all the star power they were bringing in. So yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not too alarmed by the pot or by the Diamondbacks, but I'm trying to be careful not to look past them like I did with the Marlins. Yeah, I think that's a danger, Liz, in, in that this team is clearly not as talented as the Atlanta Braves team that the Phillies just played. Um, and we saw how the, the Phillies dispatched of a Marlins team that wasn't what that wasn't nearly as good as Philadelphia, not ready for the moment. The Diamondbacks have shown they're ready for the moment, at least getting through those uh, th- those first two series. However, you know, they're trying to, like I mentioned at the top they're in order to try and get used to the scene at what they're going to, what they're going to experience at Citizens Bank Park. They're trying to pipe in crowd noise to simulate CBP. Scott Lauber tweeted out that they, they tweet, they piped in artificial crowd noise at a workout last week in Arizona to simulate what they will face at CBP. Zach Gallen called it a little more treble than bass. Gallen from South Jersey has attended Eagles Cowboys at the link. I imagine it's very similar. <laughs> oh, oh, Zach. <laughs> Um, Did anybody ha- see the video of the Braves players entering the stadium before the game? I don't know which game, but they were no. filing in and getting in the dugout, and there were just people standing over the dugout screaming at them <laughs> with one woman one woman just screaming, Welcome to Philadelphia, you effing loser! 
Oh, like, wow. sorry, I guys. don't know if the, I don't know if that made it. I didn't into mean to embarrass the, the podcast that way. I don't know if that made it into the the crowd noise the Diamondbacks were using, but that's more <laughs> on the level of what I'm used to hearing at that stadium. Yeah, yeah I mean, Liz, they're gonna. Th- th- there's no. There's no simulating what they're going to experience at Citizens Bank Park in, in games one and two. Well, and I think they would know that. That's cute. And obviously, I mean, they just did it at one point last week. You know, it, it doesn't seem like something they did a lot. Like, I, maybe they just did it for their own amusement. They can't possibly think that that's anything close. And they, they know it's not. Yeah. Like, maybe, like I said, maybe they just are doing it for fun. Maybe they're just doing mm-hmm. it for PR. But I think... I feel like no matter what, like I don't want to look past them at all because they, they like the Phillies are also coasting a bit on vibes and vibes are powerful because mm-hmm. the Phillies used them to make it to the world series last year. And so now we're actually being, as Justin said, it's a good matchup. We're being put against, put up against a team that we actually have a, it's a good clash of vibes. Are they the team that does Creed or is that the Rangers? That's the Rangers. That's the, yeah, Rangers. that's the Rangers. I yeah, hate so. the Astros, but man, do I want someone to eliminate the Rangers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That no, is what I, stupid and twee. Well, I I think what we're we're all looking for that you know that's what's in moment here with the Diamondbacks. We're waiting for some fan group to go on local television and and make a make a spectacle of themselves so that we can <laughs> know for well, sure. I hope, I hope they hiss this time. I hope they get a bunch of like <laughs> like older gentlemen to come on the morning news and just be like, yes. Yes, fear the snake. Here comes the snake. Here's the thing: Arizona is a is a barren desert, and no one goes outside anyway. We're not going to see that. And like Mm -hmm. for the, the, I don't think the Diamondbacks have fans that are even close to that intense in that way. I'm sure they're out there, but I don't know if they know how to use video equipment. So, (laughs) I think like I I don't think we're gonna. I, I don't think we're gonna get that from them. I yeah. I don't know what we're gonna get, but it doesn't seem like that. I'm I'm really I'm excited slash nervous to to face them and see how it to see how it goes, how they perform. I'm like I want it to be. I'm torn between wanting it to be like a, a good series, like a full of good baseball, and just for the Phillies to beat the crap out of them. In four games, and just have it be done, so I don't have to worry. Yeah, no, See, it's just two different types of fandom, right? I mean, you know, we've been watching Phillies playoff games with people in full body Scooby Doo costumes, gator masks, <laughs> middle finger masks, and the Diamondbacks are the kind of team that like thinks they can recreate that with some fake audio. So it, it's just it's two different levels. It is, and I, you know, I think that they're gonna find, they're gonna find that out uh, in, in in games one and two at, at CBP. But you're right, the vibes are a concern, and and the Dodgers, you know, the way they pounded LA's pitching is definitely concerning. But we knew kind of going into that series that the Dodgers really didn't have any pitching. We'd been saying it the last few weeks of the season. It's still kind of a mystery to me how they won as many games as they did, a hundred games. I mean, with with the pitching staff in absolute tatters the way that it was. But credit the Diamondbacks for for going through L.A. like it was paper mache. And so the other thing, too, is the the games that these two teams played against each other were both in the first half of the year when the Phillies were not the Phillies that we know now. And the Phillies still went 4-3 and three against them. Uh, they lost 2-3 of three at home to them in a May 22nd through the 24th series. Uh, Zach Wheeler lost a game to a starter named Tommy Henry in that series. Um, and then in another game, Ryan Davis beat the Phillies when the Phillies were using Matt Strom as an opener with Dylan Covey getting five innings after that. So 
some oddball games in the mix there. And then the <laughs> Phillies took three of four in Arizona in June. Did you guys remember the 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 benches clearing in the in that Arizona series after the Phillies? It was Matt Strom hit Corbin Carroll like twice in the same game, and Lovello no. came out and oh, started no. and started like John at the Phillies, and like they thought thought he was throwing it at Carroll because Carroll had a good series in Philadelphia the couple months before the month before. Did you guys remember that? I didn't, nope. and it sounds more <laughs> like Diamondbacks marketing, like trying to be like, this is the hot new young star that you're that you're throwing at him because of what a hot young star he is, and he's just so good, and his face is on all the programs, and, and we got to sell some jerseys. So yeah, that's why that's what you're doing, and I had completely forgotten about that because it was just not a very memorable brawl. But I hope I hope the bad blood does remain. We have seen what it looks like when teams, you know, get competitive and jawing and one team gets in the other team's head and one team says something they don't know is going to get back to the other team and that team finds out about it and uses that as motivation to beat the crap out of the other team. I mean, I hope that happens because typically that's in the Phillies' favor. You mentioned the vibes. The Phillies' vibes are, are good enough to make them into Teflon in a situation Yeah, there's like no that. beating the Phillies' vibes right now, as good as the Diamondbacks' oh, yeah, sure. vibes may be. They're, they're, they don't compare. No, completely so, no. I hope that there is that level of drama, A, because it'll make the series that much more entertaining. It'll create some kind of rivalry between these two teams, which don't have a lot of historic no. connections. No. Uh, and it'll uh, it'll presumably be a backfire. It'll probably backfire on the Diamondbacks because we've seen, you know, the Braves tried this or, or didn't know they were trying it. But, you know, drama got stirred up in that series and it worked out in the Phillies' favor. The only history I, see that I remember is... Um... God, I don't even remember where this when this was, but it was the the go D bags thing. It was the hashtag, and they would put tweets with that hashtag just up on the stadium scroll mm -hmm. without checking them. Uh, I saw it today. Least... People were saying that was in 2012, which felt late to me, but uh, I think yeah, that makes feels, sense. It, it feels like right on the edge, you know, yeah. of of the good times and the bad times. <laughs> There's like that, like the big formative <laughs> Kurt Schilling trade, but then you bring that up and people are like, eh, and you're like, yeah, eh, and you just, you know, you move on. <laughs> just move like, on. Wound up not being that formative anything. and who wants to talk about him? So, yeah, there, there's not a lot to tap into here, and this could potentially be the beginning of something you could tap into. So I, I hope like there that. is still bad blood. Yeah, and, and Justin wrote a piece for Billy Penn talking about the uh, the Phillies and Diamondbacks. Great moments in, in history of the between these two franchises, of which there really are none. Um, there's really no rivalry between these two teams. <laughs> it's fantastic. And I will say, one of my favorite tweets that I've seen so far leading up to this game is from WHYY Studio 2 host Avi wolfman who is who tweeted out, do, do the Diamondbacks have a mascot and does he tweet? It's we're, we're looking for something, you know what I mean? We're looking for that thing that we can that we can use to kind of launch the fan base into into a, a, a level of vitriol. Because when the Braves are in town, that level of vitriol, that level of, of fan engagement is automatically there because it's the Braves and, and no one likes the Braves with the Diamondbacks. You know, this this I I was asked about this incident. I was recording an interview that's going to come out on Monday morning on with WHYY on, on their morning edition show. And she was asking me, Jennifer, uh, uh, what the heck is her name? I'm going to have to edit that in later. Anyway, she was uh, she was asking me, uh, Jennifer Lewandowski was asking me, um, what about, you know, the, you know, are there going to be knives out for this series? Like there was that bench clearing brawl back in June. I was like, what do you, what? I totally forgot about it. I totally forgot that that happened because it did. It just kind of came and went and the Phillies haven't played them 
since that day. So I my guess is nobody's going to really think about that um, as this series rolls around. Nobody has time for that kind of silly nonsense. At least what if the, they the pitch players. inside on Corbin Carroll, though? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think I would be surprised. Well, I'll put it to you this way. If the Phillies can get Tori Lovello <laughs> out of his skin by pitching inside to Corbin Carroll and he gets hit once or twice, and, and that's a great distraction. That, that'll that tell me all I need to know about where the Diamondbacks' heads are, where Lovello's head is. Um, I think, I'm not saying they should hit him, but they should pitch him inside if that's going to make him uncomfortable. I think that'd be great. I agree. I think that we need to focus on the fact that Zach Gallen is from South Jersey and is a fan of the Eagles. I think we need to seize on that. I think we did that last year. Who was it? Yeah, I there think was we a did. Player last year. And didn't Merrill Kelly attend game three of the World Series? Didn't I see that story out today? Wasn't he, isn't he a Phillies fan too or something like that back in the day? Or, or was that Zach Gallen? I'm, uh, maybe I'm mixing the two guys up, but. I don't know. Well, Last if, year, uh, there was someone that was from the area, and I think there was a lot of booing, and we need to do that again. I think that is a great starting point if we want to get ourselves into uh, disliking this team enough to boo them constantly. And if there's people in the Arizona Diamondbacks organization who can be impacted by the performance of the Philadelphia Eagles, then we're off to a great start, honestly, after today. So that... Yeah. That, now we can use that, you know, that that's, yeah, that's a, that's a great inside track. Yeah, no doubt about it. So this is, um, and, and that's really where we're going to kind of uh, start. But before we get into the matchups here, the Phillies are the overwhelming favorites in this one, according to the experts. ESPN says nine of their 10 experts are picking the Phillies to win. All six experts with CBS Sports are picking the Phillies to win. Um, I, you know, that doesn't really mean anything because most of the experts were picking. That's actually not true. A lot of the experts were picking the, the Braves to win, but I was looking at the MLB.com predictions before the NLDS. Most people pick the Phillies to end up beating the Braves in, in, on MLB.com's website. It was like something like, you know, five out of eight of them or something like that. So it doesn't really matter because what this is going to come down to is starting pitching, power, and bullpen. That's what won the Phillies their previous two series. That's what won the Diamondbacks their two series. And that's whoever comes out on top in those three areas or most of those three areas is likely going to win this series. So let's start with the starting rotation. And the game the game one and two uh, scenarios for starting pitchers, it's really kind of a classic old school type battle where I think you have these two teams and they're going to want to ride their starters as, as much as they can in these first two games. You're going to have Zach Wheeler against Zach Allen in game one, Aaron Nola against Merrill Kelly in start number two. Zach Wheeler made two starts against the Diamondbacks this year, 12 innings, a 3.00 ERA, 12 to two strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, Nola made one start against the D-backs, give up four earned runs in six and two thirds innings. Uh, Pat uh, Gallen made one start, uh, five and two thirds innings. Not Pat Gallen. Zach Gallen. No, nope, Zach Gallen. <laughs> I heard it and no. I didn't know if you were going to go back. CBS Pat Gallen did not face the Phillies this year. It was uh, Zach Love Gallen. You, Pat. <laughs> yeah, Pat's great, but he 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 can't pitch. Uh, so he uh, he went. Zach Gallen went uh, five and two thirds innings and allowed two runs. Three strikeouts, no walks in a win against uh, the Phillies earlier this year. Um, and then Merrill Kelly did not face the Phillies this season here in 2023. So games one and two here, these are these are two great pitching matchups. Liz, do you feel one side or the other has the edge in these two matchup in, in either of these two games? I mean, what am I going to say? <laughs> I'm going to say Zach Phillies. Wheeler and Aaron Nola absolutely have say, the edge. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and it's wise I, of you. Yes, I, for one, would love to see the Phillies hit the crap out of both of these pitchers, just for fun. It also means they'll win. 
It does so, mean yes. they'll win, but I just sort of, I would love for them to have like a, you know, against one of these guys, one of their like main pitchers, for them to have like a free swinging, like easy offensive gain, just to sort of assert themselves very early. Like you, this is going to be very hard. We, we will chew up your pitchers and spit them out. Surrender now. Well, the good news is they they probably can. I mean, Gallon yeah. keeps you from hitting the ball hard a lot of the time. His exit velocity on batted balls was like near the bottom of the league, as was his hard hit ball rate, which, you know, you think, well, the Phillies love to hit the ball hard, so maybe that's a problem. Uh, <laughs> but he customizes his pitch selection based on what batter he's facing, uh, not just like, I'm going to lean on this pitch tonight, or like, my new overall strategy is this. He's, he's really noted for making adjustments batter to batter, and he leaned on his four-seamer for about half his pitches in 2023, and I thought he was going to be an NL Cy Young contender, and he's, he stumbled, I think we're at the point where there's what? There's no real clear front runner among the NL Cy Young field, but he is still among the names being tossed around. So he is he's a number one pitcher for a reason, and here in the postseason, he's pitched in the sixth in both of his starts he's allowed only five hits in each including one home run surrendered in just over 11 innings so he's a tough customer but the nine Phillies position players with any kind of history against him collectively they're hitting 634 and only Bryce Harper Kyle Schwarber 234 634 would be incredible uh we would probably not even be playing the series if the Phillies were hitting 634 against Zach Allen Uh, only Bryce Harper Kyle Schwarber and Trey Turner have extra base hits off him uh Harper's four for 12 off him which is good. That's that's the guy you want to see good numbers off a particular pitcher in a playoff series. Great. Bryce Harper's already able to hit him. Bryson Stott's two for six against him. Uh, but as good a year as he's had, I think these Phillies have no reason to be that afraid of Zach Gallon more than anyone else because a few of them have solid numbers against him. But in truth, they're limited by these small uh, sample sizes that they've all had with him. They're, they're going to prepare and they're going to swing hard, but they're going to have to understand that he's done his homework, so they should get ready for Gallon to have their number and adjust. But as far as like history goes, I don't think any of them are like, oh, I'm particularly bad about this guy. This guy's in my head, because they just haven't seen too much of him. And the same's pretty true for Merrill Kelly. He's pitched even less innings against the Phillies than Zach Gallon. And the only Phillies hitter with a significant number of at-bats against him is Trey Turner. And in 24 plate appearances against him, he's hitting 429 and slugging over 500. Oh. So that's good news. And in 2022, Kelly got his fastball back uh, above the low 90s. So like he he was started making adjustments last year that I think you're starting to see pay off this year. He started throwing his change up more, and he managed to keep the ball on the ground better than just about anybody. He threw like a hundred fewer fastballs and curveballs this year than last, and he he threw just about as solid a season as he did last year. Uh, But he actually kept the ball on the ground even more. He got hit harder, so he's like kind of the antithesis of Gallon in that way, where he he got hit harder. His hard hit ball numbers jumped from like 35 to over 50 in 2023. Mm. And all he's done in the postseason is throw six and a third shutout innings. But the Phillies sport a lot of hard hitters. And again, they haven't seen Kelly so much to make any conclusions about their individual performances against him. So I think this will just come down to like, we got to watch some film. We got to get familiar with these guys. Uh, the the guys like uh, Turner with Kelly and Harper with Gallon, like have have them give you some some inside info on where how, where their successes come from. And, you know, just, just keep doing what you're doing because you've been able to hit everybody who's coming coming across your path, including Spencer Strider. You know, they didn't hit him hard, but they hit him right. enough. And that's all you got to do. 
Yeah, and it's funny. Like they, they, there were three of those balls in in Game Four. Obviously, they did hit them, hit him really hard in a couple of those spots, and and they should have, you know, they should have had probably five or six runs off of Strider in Game Four with all the base runners they left on base in the first three innings of that game. Like he was in trouble throughout that, really throughout the game. He didn't have a one-two-three inning the entire day. Um, so they really probably should have hung a a very crooked number on Spencer Strider, and that's got to give them a lot of confidence. I mean, that's, I I think if you were to you know, it's. I'm not sure who's going to get more Cy Young votes, whether Zach Gallen or or Spencer Strider will get more. They're both Cy Young contenders here, but you know, so is to a lesser degree. But Zach Wheeler is every bit the pitcher that that Zach Gallen is, and um, you've got the two Zachs going at it in Game One. And the way Zach Wheeler has been throwing so far in the postseason is it's very exciting. Now he's he's pretty much, I think giving you everything he's got for six innings. And then you got to look for a way to kind of look for an exit ramp for, for Zach Wheeler at that point, because it seems like in the seventh inning, that's when his starts have kind of fallen apart a little bit, but still excellent job by Zach Wheeler through his first two starts here in the postseason. You like that matchup if you're the Phillies. And if you're the Diamondbacks, you like that matchup on your side. Same thing in game two. I think with, with Aaron Nola, if you'd asked me a month ago, Aaron, Aaron Nola versus Merrill Kelly, you know, who is, Who's got the edge? I'm taking Merrill Kelly, and I'm not even thinking about it. But I really do believe in the mechanics adjustment that Aaron Nola has apparently made because he's he's been like the guy that we have seen throughout his tenure in Philadelphia when he's when he's going really well and he's hitting his spots. He's limiting the damage with runners in scoring position, with runners on base, and I think certainly playing at Citizens Bank Park with with those two starting pitchers on the mound. Nola pitches much better at home than he does on the road. And the way this series is set up, by winning game four, you're able to start Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola at home in games one and two. And you can start Aaron Nola at home in game six. I mean, it's just, it's set up really well for the Phillies here to for these two particular matchups uh, with, with the starting pitchers. And so, um, you know, I think it's going to be, they're going to be good. I think these going to be low-scoring games. I'd be surprised if there were a lot of runs on the board here in games one and two. But um, as you look further on in the series and looking at games three and four, I think this is really where you see the starting pitching pendulum swing more towards the Phillies. With Ranger Suarez, who I don't think is getting enough credit for for his pitching in the, in the NLDS, really kind of the forgotten story, he was fantastic in game one, he got pulled early, but was fantastic in game one, and then was really good in game five and game four as well. I mean, gave them what five innings, five full innings in that in that outing against the Braves, and just all of his stuff had everybody chasing and off balance. The Braves just couldn't square him up. I mean, it was a tremendous performance by by Ranger Suarez, and I think that whatever pitcher the the Diamondbacks use, and it, from what I was reading, it sounds like you were saying Justin Brandon Fott could be the guy. He had a five seven two ERA this year in nineteen starts. Like yeah. that's, I'm taking that matchup every time. <laughs> yeah, I mean the bad news is that the Diamondbacks currently have hit two seventy six against Zach Wheeler, but the good news is that that's almost entirely Christian Walker and a little bit Tommy Pham, and everybody else has pretty you know average to pedestrian numbers against him. Uh, Christian Walker has. Gone nine for seventeen with four extra base hits against Zach Wheeler oh. in his career. So oh. just you know, stay stay away from him. Except that's also what he wants because he can extend in at bat and takes lots of pitches. So he's just going to be. You got to just figure out a way past him if you're Zach Wheeler. But other than that, yeah, they, they, uh, Wheeler has great numbers against Arizona, and the D-backs have a two twenty nine batting average against Aaron Nola. 
which mm. surprised me. So, yeah, wow. yeah both these guys are, are pretty set up to face this team. And like you said, John, being at home is, is an advantage to them as well. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm not super alarmed by either, either of our two starters, despite the concerns we had about them throughout the regular season. I, I'm I'm not really thinking when when one of these two guys is making a start in the postseason i'm not really thinking about like what particularly could go wrong i'm just like these guys have proven they can come up big they have come up big recently and that's all you got to know going in really like that's that's it they 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 can get the job done and suarez is is one of those guys now too and i think that's that's another indication of the pitching depth the phillies entered the postseason with that has been such a huge strength for them so they are the envy of every team in baseball right now with the with the amount of pitching depth that Dave Dombrowski has acquired, and they're healthy, which is just such a huge deal. I think the four healthiest pitching staffs are the ones that are still left playing right now. And that's not to say every one of those pitching staffs hasn't had issues. The Rangers, of course, lost Jacob deGrom earlier in the year, but they went out and got themselves a Max Scherzer uh, to try, and, and it looks like Scherzer is going to pitch in the ALCS at some point. Um, we'll see how effective he is, but they're making do. And so with the Phillies, they got that depth, and it's more depth than the Diamondbacks have. I think you look at games three and four, decided pitching matchup advantage, Liz. And I think Ranger, I think Ranger Suarez is maybe the the largest unsung hero of of this team right now. Like going back, even going back to last year, the what he did coming out of the bullpen and making making the starts that that he made has just been having that guy. He he doesn't get rattled. Like he doesn't get overexcited. He's just he's so calm. He's so smooth. It's like he's it's like he's out back pitching wiffle ball to his cousins. <laughs> it's it's really incredible. Steady and reliable are the two the two words that come to my head when I think of Ranger Suarez on the mound. Um you know, the the Phillies sort of played their their card with Ranger Suarez, with the, we're not going to tell you that we're going to pull you early. Once you do that, once <laughs> yeah. you can't really do that again. You played that card, yeah. now it's out. Uh, yeah. And so he sort of now has to take that and apply that going forward. And, it, you know, his second start, really, he did that incredibly well. You yes, know, he, he did. Yeah, his, just like you said, his big advantage is that he doesn't get rattled he will work his way through an at bat if he gives up a hit if he gives up a run you know he he can take it he's fine it doesn't rattle him like it it does um other pitchers so i'm i'm really excited to see him pitch against the diamondbacks like this you know i he's in he's been in top form i want to see him take on you know corbin carroll and strike him out and i think he can do it do you guys think that one of the reasons Ranger Suarez seems to do so well in the postseason is that in the playoffs, hitters are maybe a little bit more over-anxious? And the fact that he kind of throws a lot of lollipop stuff and, and has guys fishing off the outside corners. I mean, he's got to hit his spots. If he's leaving pitches over the middle of the plate, he's he's going to get whacked around. But his style of pitching is so different from Zach Wheeler's and Aaron Nola's and the rest of the bullpen guys the Phillies have. And he's such a, he's, he's such a kind of a... A departure from from a lot of the, a lot of the other pitchers these guys face. That if he's, I think he kind of is the perfect foil for a lot of the way these hitters are in in the postseason that the Phillies have played. That they they they're try, they want to they want to hit they want to expand. You know you're under a little bit more pressure and and Ranger Suarez that's his game. Go ahead and expand the strike zone. I think I think that plays into his success a little bit um, as a as the Phillies number three starter. Just it's a, a he's a good pitcher. He's just a good pitcher, man. And 
they have the they have the advantage in game three. And I also think they have the advantage in game four. And even though we don't know who the Phillies starter in game four is going to be, it's still going to be a step up over, I think it might be Ryan Nelson for the Diamondbacks in game four. We don't know. They don't know yet. Nelson had a 5-3-1 ERA in 144 innings this year. Um, so <laughs> I'll you've admit got- it. You said that name. And I'm like, who is that? You said that name earlier in the podcast, and I'm like, that that is a guy, I'm sure. Yeah, he pitched 144 <laughs> innings in the starting rotation for them this year to a 5.31 ERA. I mean, <laughs> I don't. If it's not him, I don't know who else it would be. But yeah. I mean, the Phillies have a question at Game Four starter Liz. I mean you're looking at Taiwan Walker versus Chris Sanchez. Now, neither of these guys have pitched in over 20 days in a, in a game. They threw a simulated batting practice on Sunday. Rob Thompson said both were a little bit rusty, which is not what you want to hear, but he did mention that's why we do it, because they haven't pitched in a while. Um, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. Uh, if you're looking at shutting down the lefty, like if that's your main concern, going after Corbin Carroll, he's going to face as many lefties as the Phillies can throw at him in this series. And thankfully the Phillies have a lot of lefties at their disposal. Mm. You could see Chris Sanchez get that start just to kind of go out start with Corbin Carroll and, and see how far Sanchez gives you there. But Taiwan Walker, you got him as a free agent to pitch this game, to pitch game four. And so he's got first inning problems, 5.93 ERA for Walker as a whole in five September starts. He did not pitch well. But Sanchez had a 4.15 ERA in August and September, so better than Taiwan Walker for sure. Um, Walker had a 7.04 ERA in the first inning this year compared to 3.80 at the rest of the game. So it's just, there's no perfect solution here, I don't think, for Game 4, Liz. But if you had to make the call right now, who are you starting in Game 4? I would probably go with Sanchez, exactly for the reason you said. It, it, at least you can get a favorable matchup with Lefty, you know, and see if that you know, if he can ride that little farther, you know, Taiwan Walker has been really good for the Phillies, mm -hmm. like most of the time, but his, his penchant for explosion early on and in the middle of games, we, we've seen that happen. There are times when he can sort of rein it back in, but if it gets away from him, it's like gone. And I, yeah. I have a little bit more faith in Sanchez. Um, as a whole, especially if we're going in and someone's rusty, I don't want to put a rusty Taiwan Walker in the first inning. Yeah, that's essentially what I was going to say as well. I don't trust Taiwan Walker in the first inning without 20 days off. Yeah. I feel like his rust is going to be thicker than Sanchez's. And honestly, Sanchez has earned this opportunity. Like, he hasn't earned the right to be the number one pitcher in the, in the postseason or the regular season. But, like, that this opportunity would arrive, I feel like he has we, – we have gushed over Sanchez a time this season because he has looked like exactly what you want and more from a four or five starter in your rotation. Uh, so when you need a, a spare arm in the playoffs, a guy who's not one of your premier pitchers to step up and hopefully give you a chance to win a ball game. I mean, he's he's given the kind of performance this year that, that makes you think he can do that. I'll give Walker this. Only four of the Diamondbacks have even faced him, and they're three for 20 against him. But hmm. I don't think it's worth the risk. It felt like there was an anvil on everybody's chest when the Braves would go up one to nothing in the NLDS. I don't want to see the re results of a Taiwan Walker early <laughs> innings explosion yeah. and just no. have to sit there and wait for the Phillies to claw their way back out of it one homer at a time. So, yeah, I don't think you got to put that much pressure on yourself and just hold Walker back unless you really need him. Yeah, it's interesting that <clears throat> Rob Thompson said that they'll have to see how the bullpen shakes out in the first few games before they know what they're going to do in Game 4. The only thing I'm reading into that is 
is there a scenario where they could use Chris Sanchez? And I guess my thinking is that if one of these games goes extra innings and you need to bring him in for two or three innings or something like that, that would be the only time I think you would use him. I'm, I'm, they have so many lefty relievers in, in the bullpen right now, and I think that they would all come before Chris Sanchez. My guess is that one of the other things they could do, and Todd Zalecki mentioned this in his write-up of, the, of this particular decision that Rob Thompson has to make is using Sanchez as a first inning opener before handing it over to Taiwan Walker in the second inning. Now I will say, yes, Taiwan Walker's first inning is the worst out of all of them, but if his first inning in a game is the second inning, then no. wouldn't that be the first inning for him? Like it's not the fact <laughs> yes. that the inning has a one over it. It's his first inning of pitching is generally speaking when he struggles. It's not necessarily that it's the first inning, right? Yeah, I mean, am, that's am I crazy? A terrible idea. Interesting. This is a philosophical debate that I think is over our heads. I don't know. I think you're totally no, you're totally right, John. And I think I think that is a terrible idea. I read into it to see how the bullpen shakes out because they'll probably need someone. They'll need a considerable, not a considerable number of guys, but they'll need a few guys after Sanchez because he might not if he's rusty. I think he's going to have a short leash no matter what. So they sort of need to figure out who's given who they have available in the bullpen, who's going to match up better after whoever yeah. the starter is goes out and where where could they be at that moment? You know, this is, I, I like that, you know, everyone complains, has been complaining. A lot of people have been complaining like, oh, the playoffs are just this short series and like the 162 games means nothing. And, but it's these strategic decisions and all of the planning that you have to do more so than you do for the regular season, like you have to actually game out a lot of different possibilities. Like it really makes it yeah. difficult and strategically interesting. And I really want to see what they do. I do too. And I think the fact that Taiwan Walker really can't pitch out of the bullpen, if he's not starting game four, I really don't know what his role is in the playoffs here. Again, unless you're in like the 12th inning, 11th inning, 12th inning, you've run through all of your guys to try and get you to extra innings or something like that. And now you need somebody to go out there and give you two or three innings to kind of, to kind of get you through until you can tie the game up. I just, that's probably the only place I'm feeling somewhat comfortable with Taiwan Walker is if I have to use him, not if I, it's, it's not a choice. I don't, I don't really want to choose to use Taiwan Walker. He's a break glass in case of emergency type situation. And, and Chris Sanchez, I think I agree with you guys, Liz, I think you're right. I think if Chris Sanchez pitches, I don't think he probably goes more than three or four innings in a start, but I'm not bringing Taiwan Walker is not my first option, even in that situation. I mean, when you have the pitching depth, the Phillies have you, have a guy for emergencies. Yeah, you exactly. Get to have and that's that. a that, that's a benefit. <laughs> that's a benefit. I'd rather I will say I'd rather have Taiwan Walker than Dylan Covey in that particular situation. And that honestly speaking is kind of what you're looking at as as a choice there. So that's kind of how the starting rotation shakes out. I think the Phillies have a decided advantage as the series moves to Arizona. Uh, should be two really, really good games uh, in games one and two. I would rather see the Phillies, of course, blow them out in each of those games, but I think we're going to see two really good pitching performances, um, four really good pitching performances, I guess, in both of those different games. Looking ahead, uh, looking to uh, the lineup and the offense, and you know we can kind of break down all the numbers here and all that. I think what we what we saw in the series against the Dodgers was the Diamondbacks just slugged a bunch of home runs. 
we know, watching the Phillies and this latest series against the Braves, home runs win playoff series because it's so hard to string together three, four, five hits in a row to put up a crooked number in the playoffs. There's there's too much specialization. The relievers are too good by the time you get to this point in the playoffs. The starting pitching is, is usually a whole lot better. And so you got to get those two-run home run, three-run home runs, or get a bunch of solo shots and and score that way. That's the way the Diamondbacks did it. That's the way the Phillies did it. And if you're looking at the Diamondbacks lineup, they have some guys who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. We've talked about Corbin Carroll had an 868 OPS this year. Is going to win Rookie of the Year. He's probably going. He could be a top five MVP candidate. Uh, Cattell Marte hit 25 home runs. Pretty good second baseman, 844 OPS. Christian Walker 33 home runs and 830 OPS. Lourdes Gurriel. Jr., 24 homers, a 772 OPS. Um, I was, it's fascinating to see that Evan Longoria is still around at age 37. Hey. And productive, you know, it's really kind of uh, an interesting an interesting guy there. But if you're looking at home runs and you're looking at the regular season, the Phillies were eighth in baseball with 220 home runs. You got to go down the list and find Arizona at 22nd with 166 home runs. So if you're looking at these lineups as a whole, the Phillies lineup has more star power. They're deeper, and we know that none of them are afraid of the moment, right? They've they've all been through it. They've all had big hits in the playoffs. They've all had big home runs in the playoffs. It seems like they take turns every game. Who's going to be the hero? Who's going to be the star? The Phillies have gotten this far with nothing from Kyle Schwarber so far, and I think he's going to have a big breakout series like he did in the NLCS last year. But the Phillies are a team that I think if you're looking at an offense, you're looking at who has the edge here. It's got to be the Phillies simply because, Justin, they hit more home runs than just about any other team, especially the Diamondbacks, who, outside of those guys I just mentioned, really did not hit that many out. I would agree with you, but I would say that as far as the number of home runs, it doesn't always matter how many you hit. It does matter when you hit them. (laughs) And one name you didn't mention was Gabriel Moreno, who was part of a trio of Diamondbacks age 23 or younger who all homered in game one of the NLDS, which was the only the second time that's happened ever. He's their catcher, and he also hit a home run to right a few days later, only to have it overturned after review. And then he cleared up the confusion by crushing one to left after <laughs> it was overturned and flipped his bat pretty much out of the stadium. So when you start seeing stats like that first one, it's an indication of at least a momentary surge of youth within an organization. <laughs> That's and when terrifying. you see the second one, you don't care about people's ages or who they are or what team they play for. You just think, did that just happen? Is that... Is that allowed that he can have a home run overturned and then hit another one to the other side of the ballpark? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Moreno also had 20 defensive runs saved this year and was the most above average catcher in the category of mm. catching base dealers. So he suddenly got real comfortable in the second half of the regular yeah. season. John, You've seen you didn't that carry over. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't mention him. No, I didn't want to. And, I, you know, this is you're making a good point, Justin. The Phillies running game was a huge part of their yeah. series against the Atlanta. This does not sound like that's good news for the Phillies running game. Yeah, and that, those are those were two areas where like he can he seems to be able to match them in power, and he can apparently cut them down on the base paths as well. So the only good news here is that he's he's day to day with a hand thing. So and I don't mean yeah. like yay he's injured, more just like oh there is a there is a uh, hiccup in his overall stream of endless success lately. Uh, but he he was a name that definitely stuck out to me as far as like the Diamondbacks and what they're going to be capable of doing. Uh, but like you said. 
I mean, the things you have to do to win a playoff game, the Phillies can do really well. And they've been doing for more of the season than the Diamondbacks. So unless this, boy, this three-day layoff really messes with them, because I know that can do that to some teams, <laughs> yeah. uh, the Phillies should still be in their lane with that with that momentum and you know, be able to hopefully neutralize threats like Moreno, like Walker, like Marte. But, man, you know, you, you, look, you give a second look to some of these guys, especially with Carroll and Marte at the top of the lineup. I mean, there's a reason they are where they are, even though they only won 84 games. Yeah, and and Liz, I think you know after going through the Braves and and that scary lineup. I mean, this is this is a lineup that has some that has some power that has some potential trouble spots. There's no doubt about that. Um, and the 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 thing that Diamondbacks have going for them is that they don't strike out a lot. They don't have a lot of big strikeout guys on that roster. Um, most of the guys they they put the ball in play and they're gonna make you they're gonna make you beat them. And they they added a and Tommy Pham they added him at the trade deadline. Uh, he's played pretty well for them um, in uh, in 50 games for the Diamondbacks as an OPS of 720. Uh, Tommy Pham killed the Phillies this year if I'm remembering correctly. No. He had a couple big games oh, against he's the Phillies. Back. That's, that's, no. <laughs> yeah. That's the last thing that's the last thing with that we that we want to see. So but I mean if you, <laughs> No, he's he's terrible and um we don't we last thing you want is Tommy Pham doing damage uh, in the playoffs against you here. So the Phillies are going to have to they really, you know, Liz if they if they if they approach the Diamondbacks like they approach the Braves with that level of care, with that level of intensity and focus, they'll be fine. And I don't think that there'll be a letdown because Rob Thompson and the rest of this, Caleb Cottom and the rest of the staff are too smart for that. But this isn't as good a lineup as the Braves lineup. It's there. That's just the simple fact. They're they're not as good as Atlanta's lineup. And I don't know if the Phillies take any comfort in that. As fans, I don't know if we should take any comfort in that. There are guys in here who can damage you. But again, I think the Phillies lineup is deeper than this team. I agree with you, but would also like to preach uh, non-complacency. Let's not get complacent. Yes. <laughs> Let's like Let's I don't want do the that. I don't want the Phillies to get complacent, and I don't think they will. I think you're right. Like I, I know one of the the big things about the uh, about the Braves is that they were just such whiners, and it doesn't. It appears that Brian Snitker kind of egged them on, and was just like, and wasn't just like, stop it. Just play. Um, and <laughs> yeah. I feel good that I don't think Rob Thompson needs to do that. And the Phillies are, are they're good at concentrating on what's ahead. I don't think they, they need that. Um, they don't need like a big fiery speech from Rob Thompson. But it is important that they treat these guys exactly like they treated the Braves. Just because they, yeah. they're, they, the perception is that their lineup is not great. Everything is different in the postseason. As we've seen, as Nick Castellanos has said now numerous times, the postseason is completely different than the regular season. Um, and yeah. it's important that the Phillies remember that, especially that they were in a way the Diamondbacks last year. They were a team that, given how they had performed early in the year and in previous years, <laughs> Um, when they got to the playoffs like that, it felt like they were playing over their heads, which is sort of how I think the Diamondbacks are playing right now, a little bit over their heads. The Phillies this year are the team that is fulfilling all of their potential and their destiny, but I don't want them to take that for granted and and just you know think we're we're just going to move right up. Seven games is a long series, and the Diamondbacks are t are tough competitors. They're scrappy and annoying. 
I agree. I feel like it's kind of even even more than that. Um, I keep I go back to the the Trey Turner double play ball in in game one of the NLDS uh, where he yeah. makes that diving stop, and I think we all know he doesn't make that stop every time. We can't say that he's a, he's like the only shortstop who could make that stop because we saw him in that very same series struggle with routine plays. Um, but he made that stop. He is a shortstop capable of making that play. And he is among a very small amount of shortstops capable of making that play. And I'm just using this one play as an example, but I think what's what's been lost a little bit in this is that the Phillies beat the Braves. They didn't necessarily even upset them. I know, like, technically, numerically, they're the underdog, but it didn't even feel like they, they were upsetting the Braves. Yeah. The Braves complaining nonstop was a product of the Phillies beating them. They had all these excuses to explain, well, this is why this happened. But in truth, a lot of the time, the Phillies were just better than the Braves. Yep. Even though the Braves entered that series seeming like, even even from our perspective, you know, being equipped to be a better team than the Phillies. But when you we watch that We saw it during series, the regular season, Justin, as the teams yeah. were playing the games, you saw it. Even though the Braves kind of ended up on the winning end for, for more than the Phillies did, every game was close. Every game was tight. Right. And the Phillies did what they had to do. They didn't, you know, use a lot of thunder to beat them in every game, but they did what they had to do in every game to beat the Braves. They didn't look perfect doing it, but they were capable of doing it. And they did. They beat them. Now, I think you could probably make an argument that the Phillies might be the only team that could have been matched up with the Braves that could have beaten the Braves. Obviously this is a hypothetical, Mm -hmm. but I feel like you can make that argument. I think a bunch of these teams probably could have beaten these Dodgers. They did not look very strong. They did not look very pumped up. They did not look ready. To, to be in the postseason, and they got beat by a team with 84 wins. I mean, that that is, uh, you know, I, I, again, don't want to look past the Diamondbacks. I'm, I've been sitting here talking about how great their individual players are, but I think they played uh, their series against an opponent that could have been beaten by other teams. So, yeah, I think coming in, that that that's going to be a difference. That the you got to remember, the Braves didn't just lose whoops uh, because of all these X factors. <laughs> no, they were they were beaten by the Phillies. They beat Spencer Strider yeah. twice. Yeah. Not a lot of teams can say that. <laughs> they were dominated by the Phillies really in this series, and that's that's mm. the bottom line. And a lot of that was from the bullpen. And that's the third thing uh, that you look for in this series. And the Phillies bullpen. It's a different bullpen in October, and I think one of the reasons why the Phillies' bullpen is so much more effective in October is all the rest that they get. They get more rest between series. They get more rest between games and so that they're they're more able to use all of their guys in different high leverage situations and and I think they're at maximum capacity you know when they when they come in there and so uh the Diamondbacks bullpen was not good for most of the year 467 ERA through mid-August but since then uh their ERA is 2.85 in the playoffs it's 1.77 so they've done pretty well uh here in the playoffs as well uh, but they don't have a lot of the same kind of arms that the Phillies can bring out. They don't have a lot of high-quality left-handers. Uh, Joe Mantiply and uh, Kyle Nelson, Tommy Henry are all guys that they can use coming out of the bullpen. But, you know, Mantiply has a 4.62 ERA. Kyle Nelson has a 4.18 ERA. Henry is 4.15. Like, these are not guys that you would look at them on paper and say, these are scary. These are guys that are going to shut down Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber. And that's one of the other questions. Like, how are they going to pitch Kyle? How are they going to pitch Bryce Harper in this series after seeing what he did to them, uh, what, what, the, what Harper did to the Braves in the NLDS? How, how is Bryce Harper going to get anything to hit? <laughs> the series is, 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 is the, is something to keep an eye out for, but I think the bullpen uh, is an advantage for the Phillies as well. Any quick thoughts on the bullpen? Uh, just more gushing over the depth the Phillies are, are able to show up with. I mean, yeah, I, I do. 
Uh, I'm not really quivering about the Diamondbacks bullpen, but I think you do have to note what you said that, yeah, they may have looked like a average to below average collective for most of the regular season, but you know, the postseason is different and it really is more about like, what have, what have they figured out? What have they been able to do lately? Have these guys, you know, maybe they just have a bunch of guys who really locked it in once this home stretch came and then the postseason arrived and they knew what that meant. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta be able to take them seriously, but at the same time, I do think they have a bullpen the Phillies could absolutely feast on. Um, and to your point about the lineup being deep and, and Schwarber being due for a good series, I think you guys like Alec Bohm and even Bryson Stott are due to, to really start popping off at the plate too. So I, I think, uh, I think in the end, the Phillies offense is going to be able to overpower what the Diamondbacks bullpen is going to be able to do. And I hope, I hope they get into it early. All right, uh, a couple other things before we wrap up here. Uh, Rob Thompson on Sunday did not say whether Reese Hoskins will be on the NLCS roster. We had been led to believe that if Reese is able to rejoin the team, that it wouldn't be until the World Series. But Thompson did acknowledge that Hoskins is doing everything except field ground balls. Scott Lauber reporting this from the Philly Inquirer. Hoskins is taking live at-bats and will know his status uh, by uh, by. Monday morning when they release the roster deadline. Um, in the short amount of time before that happens, many folks listening will probably know this before, but you know, by the time they, they hear this, but uh, Liz, do you think they're going to add Reese Hoskins to the roster? Oh God. Um, I feel like if they wouldn't play with it so much, if they weren't, but also I feel like, no, they kind of probably want to carry another pitcher. <laughs> Justin, what do you think? Why would they leave it ambiguous if the answer couldn't possibly, even just possibly, be yes? Correct. And if it, if it could yeah. possibly be yes, then they're interested in having him be on the roster. Yep. That's all I'm saying. Logically, yep. you can get there. And honestly, why not just slip him into Jake Cave's spot? But that's it's the thing. not yep. going to make a difference. Yep. Yeah, yep. totally. about Cave? Totally. Like, if you've got a late inning, I mean, he's going to be a pinch hitter. That's that's what his role is going to be. He's going to be a pinch hitter, uh, and and basically his role is going to be if you come up with a situation where you have a left-handed pitcher in there and you're looking at your bench and you're looking at Christian Pache or Reese Hoskins, who are you choosing? You're yeah. choosing Reese Hoskins for that pinch hitting appearance, you know, because yeah. he's not going to he, he's probably not going to run the bases after he's done hitting. Then you use Christian Pache, put him out there as a pinch runner, but that's why Reese Hoskins would be on this roster is if the Phillies have a left-handed pitcher up there and let's say maybe Christian Pache gets the start in that game or whatever, they want to bring in Reese Hoskins late. That that's what he does. I I worry that it I worry that they're forcing it. I, I don't want, I mean, like, I would, I want the best. Why would they be forcing it? Well, that's the thing. It's like, I, they obviously wouldn't be forcing it if they felt like he was going to serve a purpose. And so that's what I'm trusting is that, like, they're not putting him on there just for feels, just for vibes, just, just for the, just for Reese's sake, because you know that they want him to be a part of this. But maybe that's good enough. Maybe, maybe it's good enough that he's part of the vibes and he's, he's part of the, you know, what's going on. And maybe that's, maybe that's a good enough reason because we didn't see Jake Cave at all in the NLDS and thank goodness for that. So, and maybe you don't need that extra pitcher, you know, maybe you don't need to carry 13. So if you're just putting them on there for the feelings, then you're talking about the fans feelings and the fans are the ones who are going to be upset if they find out you just put him on there for that. And he wasn't actually able to produce and he was at risk of getting hurt again. I just don't see that being the case. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at this point in the season, at this point in the postseason, they're not going to mess around with that. That's correct. You're right. 
You're right. I, I think I think they're going to add him. I, I think Reese, I think Rob Thompson would have said, yeah, we're still looking at the World Series uh, for Reese Hoskin. Nothing's changed on that. I, I think they're going to add him. I, I think they're going to add him, and everybody's going to go crazy on Twitter tomorrow. And when he gets introduced, because I imagine they'll introduce the team uh, before the start of the NLCS, um, I don't know if they'll – maybe they won't announce the bench guys. But when people see him – it's gonna be it's gonna be lights out. It's gonna be absolutely crazy. So that would be a lot of fun if that does happen. Um, all right, let's uh, finish up with. Um, I mean, we're all gonna pick the Phillies to win this series. Um, <laughs> yes. Let's just. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. I've got the Phillies in five. Um, Liz, Justin, how many games? I'll say six. Uh, okay. And I'll, and I'll say five because yeah, she said the one that was different, so we're not all the same. So I'll say five. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Justin, I have five. Liz has six. So Liz thinks they clinch it at home, which would be which would be cool too. Um, who will be the NLCS MVP? Justin, give me an NLCS MVP pick. Um, I'm going to Reese Hoskins. No, I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say. I'm going to steal Jonathan and say Kyle Schwarber. I'm going to say he goes off hard enough that uh, he makes up for being a non-entity in the first two rounds of the playoffs. All right, Liz, you. Who's the MVP? I'm going to go with our old standby, Bryce Harper, who has been very, very good and mm-hmm. I think is going to be very, very good still again some more. And uh, I will go with the guy who had a phenomenal Brave series, but I mean, kind of got lost in the shuffle of Harper's home runs and uh, Nick Castellanos. Trey Turner is my pick for NLCS Ooh. MVP. Um, just uh, as he's five hundred, yeah, red hot at the plate and making all the plays defensively. Um, I think a dark horse would be one of the two starting pitchers, Wheeler or Nola. Uh, probably Wheeler if I think they're going. The thing's only going five, but um, I think it Trey could Turner really would be, be anyone, would be honestly. My pick. It could be anyone. That and that's what makes the Phillies so dangerous. It could be Alec Bohm. Like, you know, you could you could have a scenario where Alec Bohm does a lot in five games. You know, they just they have that many players who are all kind of dialed in right now. Um yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be quite a ride here, uh, starting on on Monday night. Let's finish up the podcast here, this uh, NLCS preview with some final thoughts, Justin. Hey, with all this winning, I don't know if it got uh, noticed, but the Fanatic won an Emmy for the Fourth of July special. They no! won. They wanted. They wow. want a mid. They want a Mid Atlantic Emmy for wow. that. Wow. So, I just thought I'd share that because I didn't know that, and then I saw it. So yeah, that's a, it's a lot of winning. Can't stop winning when you're the Phillies, apparently. <laughs> the vibes are strong. There's no doubt about how strong the vibes are. Even even strong enough to to win the, for the Fanatic to win an Emmy. He's uh one quarter of the way to the EGOT. So congratulations <laughs> to the Fanatic. Looking uh, forward to Liz. Fanatic the musical. That's right, <laughs> Liz. Fr- uh, final thoughts from you. Um. So. There has been a lot said about Phillies fans lately and how awesome we've been. I talked about complacency earlier. We should not get complacent. The Diamondbacks GM, Mike Hazen, has a a very um, tragic recent history. Uh, His wife, Nicole, died a few years ago of brain cancer. They have four sons. The Diamondbacks have been a very big part in making them – better making uh, them feel like they're being taken care of um and it's a very moving story you can read about it in um uh, the washington post zach buchanan wrote about it on october 3rd i would just like for everyone to be aware of this story and if you hear anyone saying anything stupid about i don't know dead women dead mothers dead wives please please 
tell them exactly where they can go. They're just yeah. <laughs> Phillies fans can be brutal, and I feel like the further we get into the playoffs, the bigger our heads get about what we can do and get away with. <laughs> and it's not yeah. a lot. The uh, the yeah. world at large is ready to turn on us at a moment's notice. Uh, and let's not give them a reason. So just be aware and uh, make sure <laughs> make sure your fellow Phillies fans are acting the way you would want to be treated. That's that's a really good thought, and yeah, right now Phillies fans are maybe the feel good story of of this uh, playoff series, this playoff run uh, in in Major League Baseball right now. Really remarkable where the the press that uh, the ballpark has gotten, the fan base has gotten, and um, you need to keep the intensity level right where it is. Even though this is not a rival, even though it's there's there's not nearly as much to dislike about the Diamondbacks as the oodles of things to dislike about the Atlanta Braves, and um, how much fun it was to beat that team. This is for a trip to the World Series. The intensity needs to be there right from jump in Game One. But like Liz said, um, let's you know. Put the crazy on a shelf to a degree, and let's just make it. Let's just make life miserable for the players while they're out on the field, uh, and and do it the right way, like we have been so far here through these uh, first two rounds of the playoffs, and like we we did going back to last year. So this is going to be fun, I think, because these games are so <laughs> stressful. I think it's going to be fun. Um, when the Phillies end up winning this series, we'll look back and say, yes, that was a lot of fun in the moment. Oh God, I hope um, so. Just everybody have your. I, Everybody have your ibuprofen standing by. Make sure you drink lots of water. Get get your fluids in uh, during the course of these games, and uh, and and let's beat the Diamondbacks and punch our ticket for a return a return trip to the World Series against either the Rangers or the Astros, who are getting underway uh, and playing baseball. Game one of their series as we speak right now. Real quick, um, uh, do you guys have a prediction on on ALCS winner, Justin? I'm thinking Rangers, honestly, I, and I think uh, in either case, you got like last year's World Series or this year's opening series, and I think the Phillies will feed off either one of those narratives. So, I, but I'm thinking Rangers. I think they're they've just been looking too go, too well put together this postseason. And Liz, uh, I cannot in good conscience pick the Astros again. So yes, Rangers. Be nice right. to beat Bochi as well. Yeah, yes, I, I, I'm actually. I was assuming love- assuming the Phillies get to the NLCS, which is not a guarantee. Right, you can't guarantee home. anything. You know, they got to they get to they got to get through the NLCS. But um, you know, I I I think it's going to be the Astros. I'm rooting for the Rangers to win, but I think it is going to be the Astros. But one good thing would be you get home field advantage in the World Series against the Astros, not against the Rangers. So there would be a small positive <laughs> to come from playing the Astros. But That's let's bizarre. get through the Arizona Diamondbacks first, not putting the cart before the horse. Folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season, your NLCS preview. Uh, folks, make sure that you are sticking with this podcast. We'll have a recap for you after each and every game. Uh, and we'll be talking about all the main points, all the big plot lines, everything else that happens. And uh, we are just eagerly waiting to lap up more postseason moments this team just continues to spoon feed us each and every game let's hope it keeps rolling right along here beginning with game one on monday night zach wheeler against zach gallon thanks everybody for tuning in we will talk to you next time right here on hidden season